Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Salas, and with me is my very, very talented friend, who is one little mother of Pearl, the mixtress DC Gina. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Louise. I thought you were going to call me a mother shucker, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> I was kind of loading it up for you. <laughs> oh, you did. You teed that up real nice. Yeah, I like to leave you leave you hanging. <laughs> keep you guessing. <laughs> Gotta keep our relationship fresh and new. <laughs> yeah, I like it. That's funny. Good. So here are a few little pearls, if you will, about oysters that I'd like to share with you. Okay. And I think, you know, they're fun little facts that I think uh, everyone should know. Uh, maybe you know, for trivia night. I don't know. I don't know. So here we go. So do you know that every day, Every single day, the humble little oyster filters over 50 gallons of water. And no. that, uh, yeah, and a healthy one acre wreath around 2.4, 2.4 million gallons of water. That's amazing. That's a lot of work. It's pretty that, amazing. Yes. That is. Yes. So not only do they do that, um, they're reef builders and those reefs actually create a natural barrier to storm waves and rising sea levels. Well, they do us a big favor because they absorb as much as 76 to 93 percent of, of wave energy, which obviously reduces erosion. It prevents flooding, which would then obviously prevents property damage and loss to coastal storms. Um, uh, and uh, in, in science, to say that it is actually they're actually more effective than man-made barriers and it's obvious that it costs a hell of a lot less to let nature do it let mother nature take care of that um but it's crazy that they're more effective than anything that we can do i don't know why i'm baffled by that i shouldn't be surprised right amazing little bivalves i love it they are and so beyond being really good for our environment they're also obviously good for you to eat um oysters are high in zinc um, which make them really great for your immune system. And they also provide calcium, vitamin C, omega-3 fatty acids, iron, and protein, which I am sure I am telling you and our guests something they already, you already know. <laughs> well, so, that being said. Let's go ahead and introduce today's designated drinker, shall we? Yes. He is a national award-winning oyster shucker and the host of the Oyster Ninja podcast. He's none other than Gardner Douglas. Welcome to the show, Gardner. Thank you very much. Appreciate you for uh, bringing me on here. Hello. Absolutely. How are you? Hey, Gina. So amazing to have you on, finally. I wish, I wish we were all together so we could have oysters and just chill. How about it? Don't, don't, um, honestly, I was thinking about making a drop off this morning before I went into work. I was like, that would be nice. Well, yeah. It's, Time got away. Well, Sorry for teasing you. I'd rather have you in person, I think. I think I'd rather have you in person <laughs> than to do that. Right. Yeah. So, Gardner, how does one become a national award winning oyster shucker? Um, so, basically, you have to go through the national oyster shucking competition. And uh, that's where I gained my, uh, my, round, my, my um, high standing, I guess. Um, so, you know, shuckers come from all over the country and, um, you know, as far as West, as I think is Kansas, it was a guy from Kansas, I think. And then, uh, South was Panama, Florida. We had some guys from, uh, Maine, of course, but they come from all over. A lot of people from Baltimore and, um, you either win in your state as like a competitor 
or you get sponsored. And I got sponsored to come in uh, from Hollywood Oysters uh, as Tao. And um, I placed fifth and I was the fifth best oyster shucker in the country. That's pretty awesome. So yeah. oyster shucking is in your blood, huh? Yeah. So uh, my dad, he also used to, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. So my dad shucked oyster competitively. competitively. Uh, my uh, grandmother shucked oysters in the shucking house down in Chigatig. My uncles, all that good stuff. It runs in the family. I'm from the Eastern Shore of Virginia. So, you know, seafood is what we do. So is that the Chesapeake for people who aren't from the areas that, that Yeah, area? so the, the Eastern Shore is a peninsula. And uh, so on the top, you have Maryland. On the bottom, you have Virginia. So to put that in better terms, you got Ocean City and you got Shigatig. And below Shigatig, if you keep going south, you'll end up in Virginia Beach. So we're right in the middle. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So you grew up in that area then? Grew up on the Eastern Shore of Virginia, yep, all my life. And uh, then I came to the big city. <laughs> You've been shucking ever since. <laughs> been shucking ever since. Yeah. So my dad taught me how to shuck oysters. And then I just, I caught the bug. I caught the bug for talking to people, um, getting to know people's stories and uh, just entertaining, really, I guess. So a lot like a bartender, huh, Gina? Just like the oyster bar as opposed to the cocktail bar. Like literally the reason why it's so fun to have um, Gardner on the show is because like, that's exactly what he does. He entertains you. He talks to you. He never misses a beat. He's chucking the oysters, but like the story of your family goes so far into the business that like, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Because like, I think that a lot of people don't understand just how deep a family and generations that it takes to like, become this kind of, you know, imp you're so important to the business. Like I, like Garner is like really not too, like, yes, he's on podcast and he's doing all these things and everything, but he's so important in the business and the future of our business. And like, you know, we need, it's precious because like legitimately when, when generations of families stop doing these things, you don't have, there's no, the, the pride is gone and then it becomes a job. And what Gardner does, it's the pride of, it's the pride of the bay, right? Am I, am I, if I'm misspeaking, then tell me. No, Gina, you're me. spot on. You're spot on. Honestly, um, I thought I was cutting lemons, but I guess there were onions. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, no, you're exactly right. Uh, and, and when you think about it like that, it's totally correct, like the whole lineup. Um, just far as like my background, that's how, you know, as a culture, how we made money on the Eastern Shore is working on the water and, you know, harvesting oysters, working in the shucking houses. And then you go, because in the shucking house, first of all, like it's first thing in the morning. I'm talking about like three o'clock in the morning, you get up, Ooh. you shuck oysters, Back then, they were getting paid little to nothing, but you did what you had to do, right? And then you go to your main job. Like, my grandma, like, inspired me so much because she was just relentless. Like, she never quit. She worked around the clock. Um, she took me, my brother and sister, and raised us. And, you know, you know, the good point is, like, my dad came later in life, but in the beginning, it was just, you know, her doing everything. So uh, then, of course, he passed it on like he's an oyster shucker. So, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's in the family. It's in the blood. It's in the culture. Um, the Eastern Shore is just a great place, you know, a great place to be raised.
Oh, I bet. I bet. It's so interesting to hear, like, because I'm originally from the Midwest, and obviously that I didn't know anything about oysters growing up, um, to hear that it was such a part of your culture and such a part of your, your family. Um, it's just really interesting, especially for somebody who didn't grow up in that space at all. Can't, can't really relate because, you know, we didn't know, I didn't know what an oyster was from, I didn't know an oyster from a clam, from a mussel until right. I was much older. <laughs> Let, let's, Gordon, let's talk about a little bit about the, um, the Chesapeake and like the, like the resurgence that it's having now and mm -hmm. like the loss of the oyster for a while, because I feel like, um, you know, if you if you live anywhere in the country and you're getting, you know, oysters, you, you know, you don't even realize like you almost lost all the oysters, you know, and people lost a lot of their, their jobs and the oyster houses closed and the bay was polluted and it is only, I, I, I'm going to say in the last 12 to 15 years that like legitimately the bay is the cleanest it's ever been and jobs have come back and oysteries are starting to reopen and they're, and they're owned by a lot of young people and then also universities have subsidized bringing the bay back to you know, back to its original form, original form, original life. Right. So do you, do you know some of those statistics? I know none of the statistics. That's actually why I started a podcast, because I don't know anything about anything, but I know a lot of smart people and they know what they're talking about. So I had to bring the podcast out there so I could spread the word. But, uh, you know, from what I do know, um, you know, it's a touchy subject even now because, um, you know, they always say, you know, saving the bay, but you really can't put a time staff on it because Mother Nature is going to do what she wants to do anyway, you know. Uh, and the other thing is we're doing great things to restore, especially like oysters um, in the bay because now we're building like artificial reefs that help oysters, you know, latch on and give them something to grow on because, uh, you know, they they in the beginning, they spawn, they try and find, try and find, you know, where they're going to stay at. So that's the only time they swim or move is when they're little babies. So once they find that spot, they don't move anywhere or again. So if they can't find that spot, they die, you know, so or they get covered by silt and that's it. That's, that's all. So it's great that like now we're building artificial reefs uh, for the oysters to find that home. Um, and then of course we got the oyster farmers now who are, you know, growing farm-raised oysters, which clean the bay. Um, the, and it gives a chance for the wild oysters to, you know, do their thing, produce those oysters. When you talk about, um, we, I want to talk about this because I think it's really quite interesting. When you say oyster farmer, and if people don't understand that, there are legitimately, um, they're exactly what it is. It's a farm. It's a farm. And the oysters start out the same size as about a grain of sand, the size of a grain of sand. So you can actually hold in your um, hand about a million oysters. Yep. And then they take these oysters and they go through a series of, uh, of different uh, water and, um, and, they're, and they're kind of like in these little uh, trays, like screen trays. And when they get to be about, and I, I don't know how to describe the size, the size would be maybe like three, four millimeters they take them out to the bay and then they're planted. And what planted is they're put into cages. They're put into cages in the, in the bay, about four feet of water, generally in something that's a little bit more um, softer water because the bay is considered um, brackish, meaning that's got a combination of fresh and um, salinity. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and they'll put them in a place where they are not so um, salty. The area is not so, so um, has so much uh, saline. They grow them to be about the size of a quarter. Then they're moved again. And then at that time, they're, they're usually taken onto a boat and they're tumbled in something that looks like a dryer. And then they're breaking, what they're doing is they're breaking the shell. So what they're doing is when they're breaking the shell is they're forcing the oyster to become deeper cup and they give it a deeper cup and they toss and toss and toss this oyster, put it into a new cage or, or, or um, vessel because you got to protect it from um, oysters natural predator, which is the uh, stingray, not a stingray. Um, Jellyfish? The, no, what's the, what's the other name? For the stingray? Oyster toes, the toadfish type yeah. things. But it's stingrays and, and there's something else that's in the, um, in the bay. Um, angelfish. They're not stingrays in the bay. They're called angelfish. They come in and then they move them again. And then what they do is, and what's incredible about oyster farming, is that they can finish the oyster much like you finish a dish. So you make a steak and you're cooking the steak, you're cooking the steak, and you're cooking the steak. And right in the end, you take the steak off the grill and you let it rest just like the oysters. And now you've moved it to a different part of the bay where it's a little bit more salty. And then they, they're giving the oyster a little bit more flavor and brine, just the same way you put a little bit of salt on a steak. So what happens is you have this gorgeous, gorgeous salinity happens. So you grow something in the perfect environment of being in the sweeter water. And then you take them down um, a little bit closer towards Virginia where um, Gardner's from and you build a salinity factor into it, and you can create a flavor profile of these oysters. And then you've just taken hundreds of years of this, of this amazing culture, and, and just even so you all know the oysters that come out of, um, that actually come out of the bay are called virginicas, and that is their Latin name, and that is the kind of oyster that you find there. And it becomes like this thing and you can eat it. And like, you have all of these amazing um, different oyster houses that are doing that. And then, and then they're given to, and I say given, I mean like literally I find them to be very precious what these people are doing to make this happen. Or to people like Gardner that bring them to you and then discuss the, the salinity, why they're so plump, what, what it is that you're having. And he's, it's just like me with a bottle of booze. I'm like, this bottle of Catoctin Creek comes from this water source and this is this, right? And this is really amazing and you have this product because he's getting nature, this finished product the same way I am, starts with nature, finished by man, and it's kind of incredible. So there is so much, so much like symbiotic relationship of what we both do. I feel like it's amazing. Gina, you killed that. Amen, sister, <laughs> amen. Come on now. The only difference, the only difference <laughs> is a bottle of bourbon can't make a pearl. They're still working on it. Still working on That's true. <laughs> uh, that is a good question. You know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. What's Barter, that? do you know the answer to that? What kind of oyster makes a pearl? I believe it's, it's got to be something. So there are uh, pearl oysters, um, and it is a different, it's a whole other type of oyster. Um, but if you get a wild oyster, it can produce pearls, just not as big and as pretty as those other type of oysters. Have you ever found one? Oh yeah, I found ton, but they're not like pretty or, you know, they're like, and most are small. Um, and it actually, you could miss it if you don't know what you're looking for. Most of the time, it's like a little lump right on the top of the belly, you'll see it there. 
or every now and then they'll hide underneath the uh, gills where a pea crab or oyster crab would be. Um, so if you don't know what you're looking for, you'll miss it and then it's gone. It's swallowed. <laughs> let's let's tell, our, tell our listeners about a pea, a pea crab, what that oh is. Oh my gosh, yeah. So pea crabs are actually a delicacy. What they are is this little itsy bitsy crab and not your blue crabs like you see, but it's like a little crab. It doesn't get any bigger than that, even if it wasn't in the oyster. Um, the only time it gets a bigger than the size it is, of course, is when it's pregnant. Um, and then they basically eat the whatever the oyster doesn't eat. And oh. they live with the oyster in its entire life. And a lot of people get grossed out, I guess, um, by pea crabs and they don't want to try it. And then when I tell them, you know, that they can eat them and that they're a delicacy and, you know, it's actually more valuable than the actual oyster. Uh, they think I'm pranking them or something. And then I got to eat it. And, you know, I'm I'm going to eat the rest of them. You had your chance. Now uh, you won't get one. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so they live inside the oyster. They live with the oyster. Yeah, right underneath the gills. And I just oh. did. Oh, no, the video hasn't came out yet, but I'm doing a video for it. It's going to be on YouTube, but talking all about pea crabs. I love pea oh, crabs. Interesting. I've so, never heard of them. I have no idea what those are. So here's a funny story. And um, I don't know if Gardner will remember, but we did an event together at the Longview Gallery. And he was shucking for somebody. I don't, I don't even remember the oyster company. I believe it was Whitestone. You, you do remember. Of so course. they had the pea crabs in a lot of the oysters. And people were like freaking out. And I'm like... And every one that had a crab in it, he was putting it on the side. I was like, just eating all of them. <laughs> for me, I'm like, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Like, I'm like, I, I like wait for that to happen. And I'm like, this is like so good. It's like getting a scallop with the, um, with the egg sack in the, in the scallop. Like when so you do throw. They, do they taste like the oyster then? Or do They're they actually have? actually alive, which most people don't realize. They, I mean, they are alive. You have to just eat it. Oh, yeah. Just eat it. Just pop it back. Give it a couple of chews and swallow it. It tastes like the oyster. Um, it's just going to be a little crunch. That's all. You know, it's delicious. I mean, I feel like if you haven't done it, you have to do it. And the crazy thing is the ordinary customer won't even get that pea crab because the oyster shucker is going to keep it for itself. Yeah. Or, or the chef has told the oyster shucker not to put it out. But I feel like if you educate the people about what it is and how it tastes and it's not a bad thing, then that erases all that negative, you know. Um, the connotation around it. You yeah. got it. Yeah. Uh huh. Interesting. I had, I've never heard of it. I had no idea what you were, guys were just talking about. Yeah, That's those so are beautiful. And a lot of times you get them in James River oysters, you get them in Blue Points, um, Sugar Tigs, Delaware Bay, like those type, that area right there, huge for pea crabs. Would you find a pea crab in like a oyster from the West Coast? It's I don't I don't know what it is about the salinity of the water, but uh, majority of the time it's on the East Coast. Like, um, like I said, the Blue Points, James River, Sugar Tigs, there are huh. a lot of pea crabs in those oysters. That's cool. I, I mean, we can talk about Mississippi oysters and like how they have no taste. I mean, that's fine. Oh, wow. You're going to start a war. Come on now. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a big fan of East Coast oysters. I feel like our our water is amazing. I love that you even go further up the um, coast, and you can get into uh, some of the beds that were planted by the French with the um, Ceylon oysters, and they're like a big fat round oyster. But like 
there's something about the Atlantic Ocean that just makes an incredible, an incredible like Atlantic Ocean and and the sweeter water, you know, that makes such a good mix. And it might be the Adirondacks that feed into the oceans. It could be the glaciers on the side of the earth, you know, who knows? I did do some research uh, some time ago for a different show about oysters. And um, they found in scientists have found that the oyster hasn't really changed much throughout time. The only thing that they have found is they were much larger, which makes sense because there are fewer of us pulling them out of the water to eat them. Right. <laughs> so they live longer. <laughs> but yeah, they the only difference is it's a it's an animal that hasn't changed much through like through the through the, you know, eons um other than the fact that they are, are smaller i was biased for a long time um because you know shigatig is known for like some of the best oysters and that's what i grew up on but then i got an oyster from taylor shellfish on the west coast and it changed my mind and uh now that's my number one the kushis oh all right well i mean all right tell, let's talk about kushis for a second they are kushis good. come from a particular area and and I believe the name of the bay is, isn't it Cushy Bay? No, it's not Cushy Bay. What bay it's, is it? It's something like that. Uh, it is Cushy Bay. It's, it, it's, the name, it's the name of the bay, but the water where it's coming from is extremely rough and ice cold. Like the Pacific Ocean is like very, 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 very cold. Uh, so on on the West Coast, on the West Coast, not in Hawaii, sorry, on the other side. On the West Coast, it's <laughs> cold. So you have this very specific um, plankton that grows in that kind of water that's sweet and tastes like cucumbers. So... That's what is filtering constantly through these oysters along oh, with the very rough water. Yeah. So they get these, they're very small with this very deep cup. Oh my gosh. And, and when the water is clean, when the water is good and they have enough plankton and it's filtering, though it will literally taste like melon, like a melony cucumber flavor. And you can get like, sometimes even, even as far as like a honeydew flavor, depending on how long and how big they are. I agree with you on that. Those are delicious. I'm just saying, I'm not a river oyster girl. They think they're muddy and they're just, it's not for me. Right, right. I just, I feel like they're just a piece of candy and they just melt in your mouth almost. You know, it's just, oh my gosh. (laughs) Oysters, um, it's funny though. Oysters from, um, from, from the Mississippi River, right? They do have oysters there. Um, they're called Lola oysters, and and a big thing is to take those babies and that larva and bring it to the East Coast and plant it in the bay because it creates a very meaty oyster, and you're creating a different hybrid. It's mm. it's, it's interesting science. So does um, that um, so when you transplant animals in non-indigenous areas, often that turns out to be a bad thing. Does that affect the other oysters at all when there's like you know a non-native oyster? That. Well, from what I know, um, it's all the same oyster. You know, a Blue Point is a, you know, a Virginica. A Blue Point is a sugar tick. So it's all the same oyster. Um, it's just, I guess, like us, just different genes. So what she's saying, like, it, it produces a bigger, meter oy- meteor oyster. So that oyster's been that area, so it knows how to survive in that area. So when it comes to the bay, it's just producing, you know, a different, a different, um, I don't, and it all depends on how it's harvested also. You know, like Gene was talking about going into Tumblr. That's all, you know, adding on to that gene. When man gets, plays a role. <laughs> yeah, a lot of science, a lot of science. More than I knew about. So uh, how about we do some other kind of chemistry, Gina? 
Ooh, ooh, that was good. Was sad, you like that? Way. You like yeah. that? I mean, she's done this before. I, uh, I wasn't I even get him ready every for that. I was going to ask another question, but I, I'm going to stop for a second. So, um, so the cocktail we're going to make today, everybody, is a hundred. This is this is my kind of favorite drink that we do drink with oysters is a boiler maker, and I love whiskey and I love beer. And you put all this together when you have a nice, like, cold dish of oysters. Um, it's kind of like heaven, really, because you get that little pop of, of the whiskey. And I feel like um, oysters, um, they call it the oyster when you're drinking it without putting anything on it. It's the liquor of the oyster, right? So the oyster in itself is its own cocktail. It already has liquor, a little bit of meat and the water, and you just drink it, right? Or you there eat you it, and you drink it in, right? So um, I asked all my, I asked you guys to get uh, whiskey. What whiskey did you have? Uh, uh, bourbon or whiskey or something? What do you got? I have Makers. And you I have got, Makers, okay. I got the Bardstown. Oh, you can't Perfect. see it because of my green screen. Love it. <laughs> Just put it right, right in front of your face. So I like, have the Catoctin Creek, which is uh, <laughs> from here in uh, Virginia. So we're, we're kind of staying all local. And we are going to do one. Now, in this drink, you're only going to do one ounce of whiskey. Okay. So one ounce of whiskey. Hey, Gene, I got to ask an uh, amateur question. Go. Is one ounce the big end or the little end? The little end. I knew that. Okay. <laughs> so we have one ounce of whiskey, and we put it into our um, shaker tin. And we're actually not going to shake this cocktail. We're actually just using this for a build. And you're going to actually pour this drink into another glass. So... We have this in there, and the next thing we're going to do is I asked the guests, I asked um, everybody to make a, a simple syrup, and the recipe is very, very easy. It is a tea simple syrup. So basically, you would take one cup of water, one cup of sugar, and you'll bring it to a boil, and then take two of your favorite flavored um, tea bags, and I gave everybody um, a green tea and a mint, and, and take two bags, and you and you put it, and take the rolling, boiling sugar and water off, and then you put the two tea bags in, and as it cools all the way down to room temperature, then you'll remove the two tea bags, and what you have left is a tea-steeped simple syrup. Is that what everybody did? Good. Right here. Got it right. right here. So now we're gonna take one ounce of that simple syrup that we made, and then you're gonna have a little, obviously you'll have um, extra ounces of that leftover. Just go ahead and put it in the glass jar in your refrigerator and use it whenever you want. And you can use it for old fashions, margaritas, um, lemonade, you know, it doesn't have to be alcoholic. So, Igina, I got these really cool um, bottles on Amazon, and Love they're it. airtight, and I do my simple syrups in those. That's perfect. So now we're going to take our lemons, and you're going to cut them in half, and you're going to squeeze them into your glass. So you have one whole lemon, and I'm going to ask you to put all of that into your glass. Squeeze. And if you don't have a, and if you don't have a squeezer at home, um, one thing you can do is just take a fork and you can just uh, squeeze the lemon with the fork inside and you can easily, very simply, um, make lemon juice in your in your glass. So now you have a shaker, you have your shaker tin and you have your tall glass or whatever vessel you're going to use. So what you're going to do next is you're going to take the glass and fill your drinking glass with ice all the way. I have to start over. The first time ever, I had a full cocktail fail. I'm wearing it. I smell like whiskey now. It's nice. Oh, my God. It smells beautiful. I know. That's that's sexy. I like that. <laughs> and it's right in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> 
Whenever you guys are ready on this part, we're gonna we're gonna do this together. So now you're gonna take the ice that's in your glass and you're gonna pour it into your shaker tin. And then you're gonna take this back into the next glass. And this is called a roll. So the reason why we're doing this is because you're gonna know the volume of beer that you're gonna add to your cocktail by giving this a roll. So now you're gonna have the ice in your glass with the cocktail and you rolled it once from the shaker tin into your glass and you're gonna top it off with your beer. And then you're gonna take this one more time for another roll back into the shaker tin and then back into your glass. And then that is it. You have just made yourself a boiler maker. And we're gonna give it a little garnish on top with a little um, lemon wheel, just because I can't possibly do a cocktail without some sort of garnish. Okay. Why the roll, Gina? Because you can't shake a carbonated beverage. Gotcha. But you can shake well, it. Well, you could, you but it. then you would smell like your cocktail, which I no, already did. No, then you lose a fist. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're gonna lose the fist. I don't wanna lose my fist. You lose the fist. I don't lose my face. <laughs> I just, you know, the fence. All right, where are we at? I think it's pretty uh, obvious why I shuck oysters and not a bartender. Um, you don't want to see me shuck oysters. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I've seen you do it. I've had to do it before. I used to be a manager at an oyster restaurant, and there's been times the shucker doesn't come in. And I only, and I cop every single oyster that went out because I knew it was terrible. <laughs> I made the mess of them. It's good that you do know the difference because a lot of people don't care if they cut oyster or not, you know. Oh, mine looks like some good chopped suey. I'm really <laughs> sorry. Here's your, I don't know what this is called, mess. Thank you for coming. I, and I and I apologize to the guests for like until the next person comes in for the shift. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. Do you apologize to the oyster too? You're like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I mean, I was with the company for two years, so I got better at it. But if by no means can I turn an oyster at any time, which is on time or quick whatsoever. So if I, you want me to make it look nice, it's going to take a year to get How's it done. this? All right. What do you All think right, of that? That's Let fancy. Let me see, see you. You want to hold it up? I got a smaller version. Oh, Put it right in your, there. You go. Oh, nice! Oh, that's so cute. You look great. I got a, yes. a little mini version. Cheers. Ooh, that's good. Oh wow, oh, that's really good. Come on now, ah, bartender gardener. <laughs> you weren't ready, right? You were like, this is crazy. <laughs> look at that. That's you're like, do you want me to do what with tea bags? I'm like, yeah, just do that. Right. All right, good. That is refreshing. So, Gina, let me ask you this. The tea with the whiskey, what, and, and I, I mean, this is delicious. It's such a good drink. What what does the tea do to the whiskey? Honestly, it's a, it's a tea is good. Like, when you use tea correctly and you don't like try to like overcook it and do all kinds of terrible things to it, it can actually have really beautiful fragrance. And it brings out um, from the natural um, bourbon or whiskey, either the grains or the mash or whatever they whatever they're using in the mash in order like that fragrance of it and not so much the um, stiffness of it. And then the beer is just a really nice way to add a little bit of um, effervescence and, and have a lighter, a very boozy, but a light tasting cocktail when you're eating something so delicate as oysters. Most people will say, oh, you have to have champagne and oysters. Uh, you don't. Although very classic and I love it. No doubt. No. I know lots of people that don't drink wine that like do this instead. This does seem like it'd be um, 
misleading. Like it is very light. It doesn't feel, it doesn't taste boozy, boozy at all. But to your point with, you know, you could lose track pretty it's easily. It's called bye bye can... juice. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> you like, you, you thought you were doing fine and it's bye bye. Not really sure what's going on now. Right. <laughs> Where does the name Boilermaker come from? Do you know? Um, you know what? I don't know who coined that phrase, Boilermaker. Huh. I know where, I mean, I have a really funny story of the Boilermaker. Let's hear that. Um, there is, I have these friends from Scotland and the first time I ever drank a Boilermaker was in Scotland. And they're like, Gina, do you want a Boilermaker? And I was like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Sure. And this guy poured scotch whiskey into my Smittix. And I was in Scotland, so I was drinking Irish uh, beer, which was weird. And he puts it in there, and he's like, just drink it. And I go, no. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like you have to drink it right now, because it's going to turn bad in a minute. And I'm like, okay. So I slam this drink, and oh, and I put some ice cubes in it. Excuse me, put a little bit of ice cubes in it. And I slam this cocktail. It hit me like this. I was like, what has happened? And I was a kid when I, I mean, not a kid, I was... You know, my, my, my early 21, 22s when I was traveling. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, I was like, what the hell is wrong with you people? They're like, it's a Boilermaker. It's good for you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm a Boilermaker. I, whatever. So years later, when the cocktail, I, you know, I started doing cocktails, I'm like, I'm going to make a Boilermaker. And somebody told me, they're like, no one's going to drink that. You know, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to change it my own way. And then here we are, right? So beer cocktails are all been were the rage years ago, and I feel like every summer they make a reappearance. It's perfect for the summertime. This would be a great, I mean, because it's nice and refreshing. Like you said, it doesn't feel it's not heavy um, because it's just a little bit of beer and not a whole lot of beer. Um, and not being a beer yeah. drinker, this is this is really good. So now that they met Gardner, where can they find you on your podcast, or what are you going to be doing like now? So right now, uh, of course, we got the Mr. COVID or Mrs. Hey, whatever. Yeah. Um, the Rona. The Rona is in the house. Uh, so what I've been doing, uh, since I can't do any events or anything or, you know, do house parties, I've been doing oyster deliveries on the weekend. Uh, so I, I take oysters. I mean, I deliver oysters on Saturday and people can pick them up from my home or in uh, like a meetup spot or whatever on Sundays. So just to still give out some oysters and keep it fresh. And of course I've been doing a YouTube. You can look up Oyster Ninja on YouTube. Been doing a lot of videos for home shucking. Um, so if you wanna shuck oysters at home, I got a whole uh, playlist for you. How to find out if you got a bad oyster, how to shuck a farm raise, how to shuck a wild. And now I'm starting to doing, uh, started doing, uh, I call it shucking Chucking something. I forget what I call it. I came up with something nifty. And that boiler um, maker's already working. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Guilty. What is this thing? Um, <laughs> uh, but basically, I do like, uh, I get a, so I've done, damn it, Boilermaker. Um, <laughs> I've done raspberry points. I've done sugar tigs. I've done uh, oyster out of Darimoscata. Um, basically, I shuck the oyster. I tell you how to shuck the oyster, um, what type of oyster knife to use, uh, how it's going to taste, where you can get it from, all that type of things, and, you know, just different oysters. And, of course, the Love podcast, that. yeah, just 
I'm just trying to push content out. Push, push, push. I love sounds, that. Sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gina, we're going to do our housekeeping right now. Okay. Uh, where are we going to get this pet recipe? At designated drinker dot show. Wait, what was that? Uh, designated drinker dot show. And what's going to happen there? You're going to get all of your how tos and all my ticks, my tits. You're going to get all of your how to tips and tricks and pictures of uh, Louise's tits. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. Hey, it's my birthday. So, you know, why not? My birthday suit, you know, only right. 48 points. <laughs> I love it. Cheers to that. Cheers <laughs> to that, everybody. Love that. All right. So now we got that over with. The other thing what we'll do is make sure at W, at, I can't even say it now, at designateddrinker.show, we'll make sure that you have um, the links to um, Gardner's podcast, um, Oyster Ninja, um, and then where else, wherever else we can find you. So our um, our listeners are going to be able to find Gardner wherever he is and learn how to shuck like a national award-winning shucker. I just like the word shuck. Oh, Who shuck. doesn't? <laughs> All right. I'm asking a question, Gardner. I got one more question this for is you. It. So in this day and age, everybody identifies themselves with some sort of spirited animal, and you might identify yourself with uh, a chickateak oyster because they're briny and a little bit rough around the edges. <laughs> I don't like know podcast. <laughs> if you can, if you can identify yourself with one ingredient, what would it be and why? An ingredient? Yes. Like for drinks or, or, or just... anything, food, drinks, whatever. You're an ingredient that defines you and it can't be an oyster. Wow. You had me. I mean, I was thinking of spirit animals. I came up with one of those, but an ingredient. That's good. Gina, where'd you get that from? Sheesh. Not sleeping. I don't know. <laughs> the Boilermaker. <laughs> right. Dang it. Wet brain. I'm not really sure what's going on with me. <laughs> I'm going to say either like, can I say like parsley or paprika? Is that anything? Absolutely. Yes. I'm just going to say because you never know what you're going to get out of it. You know, I don't know. I love oh, that. Yeah. You you add a little bit and you got something awesome. You just need a little bit of gardener. That's all. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I agree. I need a Perfect. little bit of gardener sooner than later. Absolutely. All right. It is all time. Good things must come to an end. Thank you for being such a wonderful guest, Gardner, and you Thank know, you. having boilermakers with us. Good lord. No doubt. Cheers. 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 The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. To learn more about HCOA or to find out about Missing Link's other podcasts, head over to missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company. 